Let's pray together. Lord, Father, hallowed be your name. May you be exalted. May you be loved. May you be honored. In the midst of this time, as we seek to know more from your word, I pray that we would walk away praising you, praising you more because of your great kindness, your great mercy and love. You are worthy of praise. You are worthy of praise. Hosanna. May you be honored. May you be exalted. And Lord, again, we pray not only for ourselves, but we pray, we pray for the world around us. We pray for the churches that are proclaiming the gospel, the, the, the pastors who are proclaiming the gospel as they're preaching on live stream today. The influence that people have on Facebook and YouTube and whatever other means of, of live streaming. I pray for those who don't trust in Christ that they would get online and, and hear a sermon that has the gospel in it and that people would turn to Christ as a result of this. Lord, I, I pray also for global missions and know that this is a hard time for missionaries and especially those who are wanting to get on the mission field. So many of us are waiting, so to speak, for what's next. But Lord, in the midst of the waiting, I pray that we would praise you and that we would be diligent to honor you and praise you in whatever context you've placed us in. But Lord, not unto us, not unto us, to your name belong the glory and give us eyes to see how glorious you are and hearts to praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today's sermon is not really focused on Palm Sunday. I had mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I was going to take two weeks to focus on passages that might help us in understanding how to live in the midst of the stay-at-home orders and uh, the rising concerns around the coronavirus that people uh, have. Now, having said that, this sermon, I believe, actually comes as a result of the events that took place at Palm Sunday and after. The reality of Jesus entering into the city of Jerusalem and Jesus being cursed by hanging on the tree, by, by dying on the cross, and him becoming unclean outside the camp, and him being the one that, that God, the Father, poured out justice, the just wrath that sinners deserve was poured out on Jesus, and Jesus drank that cup of God's wrath to the full so that everyone who trusts in Jesus would not experience one drop of wrath, but instead would experience the deluge of God's grace. For those of us who have trusted in Christ, a passage like Ephesians 5, 15 through 18 comes as a result of what Jesus has done. 
That because Jesus has died in the place of sinners, now we have the opportunity to redeem the time. Jesus is the light of the world, and he has made us now lights in this world. As I said, to redeem the time. That's the title of this sermon today. And I'm sure that you've had experiences before where you've gone through a certain season of life and then you look back on that season and you think to yourself, man, I don't think I enjoyed that season as much as I could have. I know I'm just starting to understand what older people would say to Tracy and me when they would talk about our children and they would say, enjoy the moments, it goes by so fast. I'm just starting to realize, yeah, did I waste that time? How much time did I waste? Have you ever gone through seasons like that before, wondering if you've wasted moments? What does it mean to redeem the time? I wonder about this time period with coronavirus and the stay-at-home order where we kind of feel out of control and and some of us might just say, you know what, I'm just going to kick back, relax, and just wait until, uh, until we can get out of our homes again. Others of us, we're doing stuff, maybe spinning our wheels, But I don't want any of us to make it through these stay-at-home orders and look back on this time and say, I've wasted it. Instead, I want us to look back on this time and say, oh, by the Lord's grace, I maximized it. So, I want to read from Ephesians chapter 5. And if you have your Bibles there with you, go to Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 15 through 18. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. In these few verses, we see God's command for how we ought to live. Now, this comes right after being told how our lives are to contrast with the world. And we contrast with the world by shining the light of God's truth in the midst of darkness. So this this world, as Paul gives this illustration, the world is dark, but we are light. And we shine the light of Christ into this world. In verse 14 of chapter 5, we read, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Then Paul writes, Look carefully then, or therefore, look carefully how you walk, Christian, not as unwise, but as wise. There was one person in talking about this passage, he used the illustration of sleepwalking to help us understand these verses. Have you ever walked in your sleep before? Have you ever known someone who's walked in their sleep or seen somebody walking in their sleep? Uh, Sleepwalking is a very uh, uh, interesting, crazy, weird experience. Your brain is functioning, but it's not functioning clearly, and it's not functioning on alert. You don't even know what you're doing. 
And what the Apostle Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 5 is he's talking to Christians and he's saying the light of Jesus is shining. Jesus has ascended up into heaven. Jesus reigns. And Christian, you live in dark times, but that doesn't mean you should be sleeping. You should not be sleepwalking in the midst of your lives. You need to wake up and be alert in the midst of this COVID crisis where we have heard we haven't even reached our peak yet. We can't numb ourselves and just, oh, whatever, we'll get through. We shouldn't just coast in our spiritual life. All of that would be sleepwalking. Instead, we need to be alert. We need to be awake. And so the main idea of this sermon today is that believers must be proactive with our daily lives. Seeking God's will. Can we show the screen for a second? Oh, my screen person is gone. Believers must be proactive with our daily lives, seeking God's will. Paul then gives us a guide as to what this ought to look like. He starts off by revealing that believers, and we're going to just take this phrase into two points. The first point is that believers must be proactive with their lives. Believers must be proactive with their lives, their daily lives. And I'm going to read again verses 16 through 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul reveals to us why we should be proactive in our daily lives. He uses the word because in verse 16. This because is the reason why we should be careful how to live, why we should be proactive, why we should be wise. So why should we be wise? Because the days are evil. Now, what does that mean? The days are evil. Should we wake up every morning completely scared out of our minds because evil is enveloped every single day? And so just don't even get out of bed because the days are evil. No, Paul is actually using this as a motivation to act, not as a motivation to live in fear. So what does it mean the days are evil? Well, this phrase is used at various points in the scripture, this idea. In Ephesians 6 verse 13 The Apostle Paul says we're to take up the whole armor of God to be able to withstand in the evil day. When Jacob speaks to Pharaoh and talks of his life, he says that the days of his life, few and evil have been the days of the years of his life. But I think that Psalm 49 verse 5 helps us really to understand this phrase. Psalm 49.5, I'm going to read it to you, says, Why should I fear in the days of evil when the iniquity at my heels surrounds me? 
Why should I fear, Psalm 49, 5, why should I fear in the days of evil when the iniquity at my heels surround me? Now, what sometimes in Hebrew poetry happens is that you'll have a line and then another line in Hebrew poetry, and those lines help us to understand each other. Here, I think that's what's happening in Psalm 49, verse 5. Why should I fear in the days of evil when the iniquity at my heels surround me? Evil days means that this world is filled with brokenness. This world is filled with sin. We have, we have our own sinfulness and our own iniquity from within. We have situations like Jacob where his son sell his other son into slavery and therefore few and evil have been his days. We have spiritual warfare that takes place. And so there's the evil day. The days are evil means that the days are filled with the results of the fall into sin. In various ways, we've experienced evil in our days, haven't we? We can resonate with that truth. And maybe even more so now, we can feel the evilness of our days. If even just a taste, we see how the curse into this world leads to how viruses spread and even the ramifications of that. Now, if we know that the days are evil, if we know that today, this week, is filled with evil days, then do you think that Paul's motivation to us is because the days are evil, then you know what? Just do whatever feels right to you. Because the days are evil, fill your time playing video games or sitting in front of the TV or being a workaholic or trying to get, go back in time and mimic previous months. You think that's Paul's motivation? No, that would be sleepwalking in the midst of our time period. We need to wake up. We have Christ who is the light of the world shining through us. We need to get out, get up, and shine the light. We don't want to waste this time. In his book, Don't Waste Your Life, the author of that book tells of a story that gives a helpful illustration of how we ought to live our lives in general. And I think that this gives a helpful, helpful illustration to us in the midst of this time as well. He writes the following of what it means to waste your life. He says, I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider a story from the February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest, which tells about a couple who took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler. They play softball and collect shells. At first, when I read it, I thought it might be a joke, a spoof on the American dream. But it wasn't. Tragically, this was the dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let the last great work of your life before you give an account to your creator be this, playing softball and collecting shells. 
picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells? This is a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Over against that, I put my protest. Don't buy it. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it. Now I put my protest in. Don't waste the stay-at-home order. Now that isn't to say that you can't enjoy godly rest. That's not the point of reading that statement. But the point here is that if that's it, and if that's the ultimate aim, and if that's how you're living as the standard, how tragically flawed You're living for minimal pleasures and God deserves maximal glory, which is your supreme joy. So don't waste your life. God wants you to maximize it. Why? Because the days are evil. And the midst of this time keeps moving. Children are getting older. We're getting older. Death is coming soon. Life is a vapor. And so now we should ask the question, how do we maximize our lives then? We need to remember Jesus' words when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the king and let your life line up with him and his standards for kingdom living. That actually leads us to Paul's wording in verse 15. How are we to be proactive with our lives? The first thing is to evaluate carefully how to live. And that's on the slide as well. Evaluate carefully how to live. Verse 15 says, look carefully then how you walk. Now to walk is referring to how you live your life. So before you do anything, you need to think about what you're going to do. Paul doesn't just want you to jump into action. He wants you to evaluate your actions, to evaluate your life, to evaluate God's standard with how you ought to be living. Now, this phrase, careful attention, or to look carefully, brings two Greek words together that mean precision and accuracy. In other words, we are to be really, really purposeful about how we live our lives. I think of, uh, when, when I think about this and trying to give an illustration for it, I'm, I'm reminded of the game Minesweeper. <laughs> and now this might seem like a trite illustration, but Minesweeper was like the game on every computer that we could play when I was a preteen, teenager. And I like to play Minesweeper and press those little buttons. And, and you know how Minesweeper goes. You press the buttons and then it opens space and then you, you try to evaluate where are the mines. And so there might be one mine or three mines or two mines close by. If you just keep clicking on Minesweeper, then what's going to happen? And, and you're not paying attention and you're not being careful, you're going to blow up, right? But, you know, no big deal. You just click that little frowny face when you die and then it's smiling again and you have a new field. But what if, what if this was real life? 
What if you were trying to find real mines? How precise and accurate ought you to be? You want to be 100% precise and accurate. You want to be careful about your decisions. The Apostle Paul is calling us to be careful in evaluating our lives. In the midst of this time period, be careful to evaluate how you're living every day. The days are evil. The light of Christ is shining and is intended to shine through you to this world. Look carefully then how you are to live your life. Evaluate it in line with the kingdom of God. I know for me, my mind keeps making me think that I'm just in a holding pattern right now. What do you do when you're on a plane and you're in a holding pattern? You just sit on the plane and you wait until they say you can land. And then once you land, you get off the plane and then you do everyday life. And some of us could be thinking that way in the midst of this time. I'm just in a holding pattern right now. And that's okay. And then I'll get off and then I'll do. No. The days are evil. We see the days are evil. So in order to be proactive, we, we need to evaluate our lives. God has still given us callings. He's still called us to make disciples. He's still called us to be a testimony to others. He's still called us to love our neighbor as ourself. We just need to evaluate and think through what does this look like? And ultimately, by the way, as we evaluate, this is relational. To seek first the kingdom is a focus on the king first and his rule, seeking to honor him. It's not just doing things. It's seeking to live under his goodness and his grace and wanting to show his love. So be proactive. How? By evaluating carefully how to live. And then secondly, by redeeming the time. The end of verse 16 and then verse 17 says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Redeem the time. So evaluate carefully how to live. And the second point, which is on the slides, is redeem the time. Paul states that walking wisely and not like a fool means that we make the best use of our time. Now, I actually do prefer the phrase, redeem the time. What does it mean to redeem time? The word redeem is a, is a monetary term, to buy something. How can you buy time? This word for redeem can also refer to purchasing something from slavery and then giving it freedom. I wonder if that's actually the meaning of this phraseology here. I think Paul is giving us a word analogy here, especially in this context where he's saying that the days contain evil in them. I believe what Paul is saying is that Christians have a glorious privilege of being able to live life in such a way that it is as, it is as though they have bought time and they have set time free for God's glory. 
mean, because the reality is, is that those who don't trust Christ cannot live for the praise and glory of God. But if you have turned to Christ, turned from your sins and turned to Jesus for forgiveness and reconciliation with God, then that means in whatever you do, you can redeem the time, meaning you can live for the glory of God in every second. And in living for the glory of God, the Bible teaches us that matters for eternity. You, by the grace of Jesus Christ, can free time to matter for eternity. That's what Paul means. Redeem the time. King Jesus has summoned us to live in such a way that the light of Christ shines in this world and that the world would be affected and that eternity would be shown. Now, in the midst of saying all of this, again, I want to ensure that we understand that as we talk about redeeming the time and being proactive, again, this is relational. Paul emphasizes the words wise and foolish in this text. And we know that someone who is wise fears the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. To have a joyful submission to the king of kings, a reverential awe of the creator over all. And I believe wisdom includes a rest and trust in God's working in the circumstances of life. And therefore, even if we make our plans and if God changes those plans in a given day, which he often does, then we say, well, that's what the Lord willed. And we change course as needed. We are proactive then by evaluating carefully how to live, by redeeming the time. But all of this is based on our relationship with the Lord. So evaluate carefully, redeem the time, but how do we do this? That takes us to the second main point. The second main point. Believers, they must be proactive in their lives, but believers must seek God's will. Verse 17 says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This therefore is very important. I believe Paul is restating what he's already said, but he's making it more specific. In verses 15 and 16, he's told us what to do, but he hasn't told us how we're going to be wise in making priorities. He hasn't told us where to turn in order to evaluate our lives. Without verse 17, we could simply let our own personal standards or our own feelings evaluate whether we're too busy or lazy. We could just say, well, life is weird. Who knows what tomorrow holds? I'll just wait until I get a sense of control back. Or we could be freaking out and just (gasps) spinning our wheels, never truly resting in the Lord. How do we not simply turn to ourselves for the answers? Paul gives us something more solid. He reiterates that we don't want to be unwise. Now, if wisdom involves the fear of the Lord, what does it mean to be unwise? The unwise is someone who is a fool. A fool is someone who does not understand the seriousness of life. A fool, therefore, is someone who refuses to realize the eternal nature of existence. They live only in light of their own desires and not for God's magnificence. A fool ignores God. Wisdom comes when someone has a healthy fear and worship of God. 
They saturate their minds by thinking on things above, not merely focused on the earthly things of today. So Paul is saying, don't be a fool, be wise. Now Paul shows us that someone who is wise is one who seeks to understand the will of the Lord. If you know who God is, how glorious he is, then you want to live for him. You want to know his will. Do you know what God's will is? That phrase can be so confusing. When I was dating my wife, that was a big question for me. (gasps) Is it God's will that I stay with her? Oh no, I don't want to make a mistake because this is, this is a decision for the rest of my life and I want to make sure that I'm pleasing God. So is it God's will that I am with Tracy? Is Tracy God's will for me? I mean, I was scared because I, I wasn't sure. I mean, I really liked her, but maybe God didn't want me to be with her. And so I remember even one time saying, Lord, if someone gives me a Delaware quarter, that means that it's your will that I'm with her. Have you ever played games like that with God? Or you've done that, that Bible reading uh, thing that I've talked many times against where you just ask God a question and you open up to a page and you point to some words and you see if they have some answers for you. It's like playing Magic 8 with the word of God. What does it mean to know the will of the Lord? I think you recognize those are not good ways to understand the will of the Lord. I hope you recognize that. So let's look actually at the word that Paul uses here for understand. The word for understand in the Greek means this, to employ one's capacity for understanding and thus to arrive at insight. Let's break down that definition. Use your brain and then come to conclusions. Understand what the will of the Lord is to, it means to use your mind and develop your thinking so that you then come to a practical application. Now, it's not just using your mind in general. Where do we go to develop our thinking on God's will? To the scriptures. I have on the screen here behind me the, the Proverbs sixteen twenty through 21. And it says this, whoever gives thoughts to the word will discover good and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. The wise of heart is called discerning. The wise are those who give thought to the word and therefore they discover good in the word and they are blessed because when you're in the word and living on the basis of the word, you're actually trusting the Lord. So who is someone wise and discerning? It's someone who is in the word. By the way, being in the word, again, is not just, I I think sometimes when we're in the word, we can treat it like uh, going through the fast food window. And by the way, actually, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Believers must seek God's will And I'm going to answer that question, how first through the word and prayer? I think we can treat the word and prayer like going through the fast food window. 
Um, okay, God, I would like um, an answer to this question. And uh, Lord, if you could please give me um, uh, some peace. And uh, Lord, if I could also experience some wonderful feelings of love for that person who's driving me nuts, um, that would be wonderful. Thank you. Amen. And then we drive around to the window, meaning we read a little bit in the Bible, and then we close our Bible and we go, what? I didn't get what I wanted. I got the wrong order. Relationships don't work that way. Relationship with the Lord does not work that way because it's a relationship. God is drawing you to himself so that you see him, so that you know him, so that you savor him. And that when you see and know and savor him, then you will grow in knowing how to live. You will grow in wanting to live for him. Paul says, understand the will of the Lord. We understand the will of the Lord through the relationship in listening to God. We understand the will of the Lord also in speaking to him in prayer. Now I'm adding that in here, but this is what the scriptures teach us. We are to be a people who pray without ceasing. Romans shows us that the first expression of faith is prayer. Prayer is to be like the air we breathe. God speaks to us, we speak to him. And when we speak to him, we're expressing our dependence on him. We redeem the time. We redeem the time by knowing God and his word and by praying. And I'll tell you what, when you look in history, when you study the saints who have gone before us, those who have spent time with the Lord in the word and prayer are those actually who have accomplished quite a bit. It's an amazing reality that's almost a mystery to me how that could be the case, except I know that it's God who's working his power through their weakness. We seek God's will through the word and prayer. And we seek God's will also through obedience. This is, the, this is a second point under this. We seek God's will through obedience. In 2 Peter 1 verse 2, we hear this, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. This word for knowledge refers to knowledge gained by experience. And I love this word for knowledge because what it's like is it's kind of like uh, if somebody says, oh yeah, I think I'm a pretty patient person. And then a circumstance or a person comes into your life that tests that patience and you go, oh, that's what patience means. Or you can say, if, if, you, if you were not married, you could read a verse that says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You go, of course, I'm going to love my wife. Yes, absolutely. I love, I will love her. And then you get married and you go, oh my, this is more difficult than I thought. Peter is saying we actually grow in, in, in God's, uh, in the knowledge of God and Jesus through experiences, through living it out. So listen, you're not just supposed to be someone who studies the word and prays and just locks yourself up in your room by yourself and never communicates with anybody else. You are to be a person who knows the word and is praying and then seeks to live it out. And you actually do it. 
because God is magnificent and glorious because Jesus has shined his light on you and has changed you from darkness to light and therefore you seek to obey. And in obeying, you grow more in the knowledge of God. So you study about God, you pray and you grow in the knowledge of God and you uh, study of God and pray and then you grow in God and then you actually act in obedience and you grow in the knowledge of God so that you want to know more about God and as you know more about God, you obey and as you obey, you know more about God so you want to know more about God. Obedience is essential in seeking God's will. In Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Act out your salvation. God's given you the muscles of salvation. Now work it out and see them grow. But this isn't, this isn't just you doing it in your own strength, right? None of this is doing it in your own strength on the basis of you. And therefore, the third point of seeking God's will, how do we do that? And that's on the screen as well, is by the Holy Spirit. In verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul is giving them commands. He's telling them how they ought to live, how they ought to act, how they ought to behave. But then he says, but hold on a second. This, is all, this all must take place by the strength that the Holy Spirit provides. And the Holy Spirit does provide strength to do these things. In Romans 8, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Can we get that video camera looking at me again? God is calling you to redeem the time. God is calling us as his scattered children to redeem the time. God has given us Christ who has shined his light in our lives. God has given us his word to grow in understanding. God has given us prayer where Jesus died so that we could speak to God and he would hear us and answer us. He has given us the Holy Spirit so that we can and will obey our God. So may we not be sleepwalkers. May we prioritize our lives, evaluating our lives in line with the kingdom. Let's not be unwise. Let's redeem the time and grow in our relationship with him through the word and prayer. Let's apply the word to our lives. All the while, let's depend on the spirit. Again, Ventura, all of these things come to us because of God's great love for us in Jesus Christ. 
when the people outside of Jerusalem said, Hosanna, Hosanna, oh save, oh save. They didn't realize how great the salvation was. How glorious the salvation that Jesus gives. A salvation that doesn't just give us political rescue, but a salvation that changes us from the inside out and allows us the opportunity to magnify God in a dark, fallen world where the days are evil. He's given us the privilege to, in a sense, set time free so that it might matter for eternity. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we need you. Father, I pray that you would encourage and strengthen our hearts and minds in Christ. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to see this time period as an opportunity to magnify Jesus Christ. Help us in the midst of this time as well to live day by day rejoicing in your goodness, in your grace, in your promises. Lord, if there's anyone watching this live stream today who does not trust Jesus, I pray, God, that they would reach out reach out to someone who does, reach out on our website, try to find an email address that they would talk about the Savior and know the freedom he gives. For our church family, Father, I pray that you would continue to give them strength. Help them to connect with other believers so that we would continue to grow in godliness and give us creativity, Lord. Give us proactivity that we might truly redeem the time. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And hear these words as we conclude this time. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.